Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. We're in Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20 this morning. Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and said, and, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic. And he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him. And the demon came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Father, thank You so much that we have the privilege and honor to meet together freely. That we have the, 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 the freedom to read Your Word. God, to study it together. Lord, to hear what You say to us, Lord Jesus. Just as truly and really as You spoke to Moses. Face to face, so You speak to us today. Father, we ask that You would help us to believe that. That You would help us to come to Your Word that way. Lord, that we would believe in providence that You've ordained that we be here this morning. That You've ordained that this be the passage of Scripture that we read. That You have ordained even the words that will be spoken. And we ask, O oh Lord, that You would speak to us. We pray, Lord God, that You would give us understanding. We pray, Father, that You would help us to glean all that You want us to glean from this passage. We, we pray You would help us to see Jesus. We pray that You would help us to grow in faith, that You would convict us of sin where we need to be convicted, that we would be humbled, Lord, that we would see our desperate need for Your help, that we would grow in, in our confidence in Jesus as the healer and the demon killer, and that we would grow in faith, that we would have a right quality of faith. It's focused mainly on the object of our faith, our great God, who can do anything. Father, help me speak words that are pleasing in Your sight. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and our hearts be acceptable in Your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I 
I was on the phone with a, 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 my, my wrestling coach, one of my wrestling coaches last night uh, from North Carolina, and it was sort of good to hear his voice. He's got that real deep, twangy accent and uh, taught me how to wrestle. And he was asking me, he always asked me, what you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, well, Jesus comes down from the transfig- Mount of Transfiguration. His disciples couldn't cast out a demon, so Jesus show him, shows them how it's done. That's a summary. Jesus shows us how it's done. At the beginning of Matthew 17, we saw the transfiguration, the glorious revelation of the light of the world, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And we were told to listen to Him. Last week, we saw Jesus and His three disciples come down the mountain, and there was a discussion about John the Baptist and Elijah, and we saw that John the Baptist would suffer great things for the Lord, and uh, uh, Elijah suffered great things for his God, and, and, and Jesus would suffer great things. And that we as believers, followers of Jesus, shouldn't be afraid of suffering as if that weren't the plan, as if God doesn't love us. No. No, if we follow Jesus faithfully, we will suffer like Elijah, like John the Baptist, like Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples, they come down the mountain and what do they find? They find a broken, sin-sick world. It's sort of a contrast. They're up on the mountain in glory. And they come back down to the brokenness. Peter wanted to stay up there in the glory. But they have a mission. To come back down to the brokenness. The lostness. The unbelief. The perversity. The sickness. There's a mission to be done. And so they come back down to the mountain. To this broken, sin-sick world and a world of unbelief. And in these verses today, we're reminded again that Jesus Christ, our Lord and God, is the healer, and He's the one who came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus never fails. (laughs) Disciples fail. Jesus never fails. Jesus saves. We've already seen this throughout Matthew's Gospel. Remember back in Matthew 4.23? Matthew 4.23, And He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. We've seen Jesus as the healer. And beloved, let me just ask the question, who healed in the Old Testament? God. Psalm 103, 2-3, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, and Jesus comes healing all diseases. Jesus is God. What are we told in the New Testament that Jesus came to do? 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He's the demon killer. He's the demon crusher. When I first got introduced to Christian hip-hop, there was a group called Gospel Gangsters. And they sang a song named Demon Killer. Jesus is the demon killer. 
Beloved, who did battle with the devil in the Old Testament? Remember God doing battle with Satan through his servant Job? God is the one who said, have you considered my servant Job? Hey, Satan, try him out. Oh, he just serves you because you give him everything. Okay, take it away and see what he does. See where his faith is. See if he has true faith. And God wins the battle because all he does is win. We also see in the Old Testament that the Lord rebukes Satan in the Old Testament. Same word in our text today. And we see Jesus doing it. We'll get to that. Jesus is the God-man healer and the one who destroys the works of the devil. So when faith seems impossible, we should trust in Him with true, active, and living faith because Jesus is our only true, active, and living Savior. That's the point. That's the point of this passage. Jesus is the God-man healer and the one who destroys the works of the devil. So when life seems impossible, when you lose everything like Job did, and you realize your faith was actually in your family, or your faith was actually in how good things are going for you, your faith was actually not faith because you just trusted God because you could see what He was doing. But when you lose everything and don't see anything but impossibility, that's when you trust God. Jesus is the God-man healer and the one who destroys the works of the devil. So when life seems impossible, like I can't go on impossible, we should trust Him with the true, active, and living faith because Jesus is our only true, active, and living Savior. Point number one, Jesus faces an incurable problem. Jesus faces an incurable problem. Look at verses 14 through 16. And when they came to the crowd, a man came to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought to your disciples, I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Beloved, we see a desperate father come to Jesus. But this man knew where to go. (laughs) He knew where to go. Jesus is the only one who can help. The disciples couldn't help. Other people couldn't help. But Jesus can help. This man knew how to come. He comes kneeling in humility before the Lord Jesus Christ. Not with demands. Not with you owe me. Not with where are you God. He comes kneeling in humility. And this man knew what to say. Lord, have mercy. He calls him Lord. And you see discussions in the commentaries. Well, it can just mean sir. Good sir. But I I go with Johnny Mack on this. I think the people knew more than that. I think when they called him Lord, they knew a little bit more than good sir. A polite term. No, they they come to the demon killer because they know he can kill the demons. 
he can cast the demons out. Lord, have mercy. Give me something I don't deserve. Please help me. Lord, have mercy. This man is a great example for us. Beloved, do you go to Jesus with your incurable, impossible problems? Is Jesus the first place you turn with your incurable, impossible problems? Do you go to Him humbly in prayer? This man's praying to Jesus. (laughs) He's talking to Him. That's what prayer is, talking to God. Do you come to Jesus humbly in prayer? Do you call Him your Lord and your God? He is Lord and God. Do you ask Him for mercy? Friend, have you come to Jesus this way and asked for mercy? Have you you done this? If if there are people here among us who are unbelievers, this, this man is a great example for you to come to Jesus for mercy. Because you need mercy. If if you're here this morning, you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need mercy. Just like Steve. You heard Steve's testimony. He's out wandering around in no man's land, wondering about all these religions, wondering about all these philosophies, wondering about all this stuff. You know, some of you young people, you might want to talk to Steve because he's been through that. He's looked at all the religions, looked at all the philosophies, and they're all empty. Jesus saves. But you see, we've all got to come to that point where you see that. And and, and, and I ask you, have you come to Jesus for mercy? None of us deserve mercy. We all deserve God's wrath and judgment because of our sin. As as Steve quoted from Isaiah, our iniquities have separated us from God. And so there's this, this great chasm between God and man because of our sin. We've broken His commandments. We've broken His laws. We've lied. We've cheated. We've stolen. We've committed sexual morality. We've had sex outside of marriage. We've, we've committed adultery. We've, we've lusted after one another. And, that, and Jesus says that's adultery. We've murdered one another. Even in our heart when we lose our temper. And so these sins separate us from God and we deserve His wrath in hell forever. But God loves sinners. And so you got that big old cross in the middle. He sends his son Jesus, the God-man, who we read about today. And Jesus comes. He teaches like this. He acts like this. He heals like this. He casts out demons like this. And he goes all the way to the cross where he suffers God's wrath and curse and judgment as our substitute. He takes our place. We deserve the hell. He got the hell on the cross. He died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. As Brother Anthony says, he died on Black Friday and he rose on Easter Sunday. Amen. Anthony, that don't get old to Anthony. Anthony be telling me that every Thursday and tears streaming down his face. It don't get old to him. The bliss, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole was nailed to the tree. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's the gospel. And he calls us all to repent, to turn from sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Just like God snatched Steve out of the flames of hell and made him his son, he'll do that for you today. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't make yourself good enough. You can simply 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, please believe on Him today and be saved. If you'd like to talk to me afterwards, I'd love to speak with you. There are other Christians here who would love to speak with you about the gospel. We want everybody, man, woman, child, leaving here, born again through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this man did that in a way. He came to Jesus for mercy. He came to Jesus for mercy. And we see this man's need. His son was having these epileptic type seizures. And many of the commentators point out this word that, that translates ep- 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 epilepsy is like moonstruck. The, the King Jimmy gets it right. Uh, he was a lunatic. He was crazy. And, and he, he was having these, these, these seizures. We know from later in the text that this was from demon possession. Now, now, not all disease and sickness is because of demon possession, but sometimes it is, and, 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 and in this case it is, and his son, this, this father's son, is suffering. His son falls into the fire and, and into the water because of these seizures, and he could, he could burn to death. He, he could drown and, and die from, from this demon possession. And we see that this man, this father, brought his son to Jesus. Now let me just ask you this. I, I make lots of side applications. There's, there's a lot of main applications that I tried to elucidate in the, 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 the thesis statement, but they're side applications. This man brought his son to Jesus. This is a side application. Parents, grandparents, guardians, do you bring your children to Jesus? Do you bring your children to Jesus? There is something far worse that your children face. Worse than seizures. Worse than death by fire and water. Your children face the wrath of Almighty God in hell forever. Unless you bring them to Jesus. Unless you bring them to Jesus. Parents, grandparents, guardians, those who teach children, are you bringing them to Jesus? Bringing them to church that they can hear the Gospel giving life. Training them at home. Having devotions. We, we did a whole series on that where we had parents come up and give testimonies. Encouraging parents that this is not... We just don't drop them off at Sunday school. We just don't bring them to church and think that's enough. No, we diligently train our children. Teaching them the Bible. Teaching them the Gospel. Having them memorize Scripture. Catechizing them. Teaching them John 3.16. Teaching them propitiation. Parents, are you bringing your children to Jesus that they might be saved. This man brought his son to Jesus. And we see in these verses the disciples' inability to heal. Look at verse 16. I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And beloved, we see throughout the Gospels the failures of the disciples are ever present. 
Remember Matthew 14, 31. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Matthew 16, 15, 16. Matthew 15, 16. And He said, are you also still without understanding? He said to His disciples. Matthew 16, 22. Peter took Him aside, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Him. Remember when Peter did that and got called, get behind me, Satan? And the disciples fell here again in our text. This father brings his son to the disciples. They could not heal him. Well, this is good news for us, isn't it? Any failures out there? Any people who've not measured up before? Any, any people who've been rejected? Any, any people who've not done what they should do? Any sinners out there? This is good news for your pastor. And Jesus continues to love them, to bear with them, to teach them, to patiently care for them. Jesus' disciples' ability to, effect, do, to do effective work for the Lord in part is dependent on their depth of faith in the Lord who alone could give them the power to do God's work. They were unable to do this. They were unable to do what God had called them to do. And it, a problem was with their faith. D.A. Carson comments, their power to do kingdom miracles was not their own. It wasn't like magic. It was entirely derivative and related to their walk of faith, and they had a faith problem, as we're going to see later. They had a faith problem. Well, that's point number one. Jesus faces an incurable problem. Point number two, Jesus expresses strong disappointment with the disciples' faithlessness. Jesus expresses strong disappointment with the disciples' faithlessness. Look at verse 17. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus calls his disciples and their generation, those who were alive at the time, faithless and twisted. Jesus is clearly upset with His disciples and the generation they belong to. They don't have faith as they should. And He even calls them twisted, which is, means perverse and, 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 and corrupt. He, he lumps His disciples in with, with this, this faithless and perverse generation. Jesus is upset. Jesus even displays a kind of exasperated anger. Verse 17, How long? <laughs> How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Beloved, Jesus had emotions. He had real strong emotions, but, but they were never sinful. They were always righteous and holy and good and appropriate. And he was angry about the sin. Jesus was angry about sin. He was angry about the unbelief. He was angry about what God is angry about because He is God. And this is upsetting to Jesus. And beloved, remember, Jesus was angry with God's people just like Moses. Just like Moses. Remember, 
We saw the parallels between Moses on Mount Sinai and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that? Remember we went through all those parallels, how Jesus is the new and better Moses. And so Moses goes up on a mountain. Jesus goes up on a mountain. Moses saw the God of Israel at least hidden and saw his backside. And, and, and God uh, appears to, to Jesus and Moses and Elijah appear. A cloud covers the mountain when Moses is on Sinai. And a cloud comes when Jesus is in the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. God speaks to Moses and God speaks. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Moses' face shines and he has to wear a veil. Jesus shines not for reflective glory, but because he is the glory. And remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai? Do you remember what he found? He found a twisted and faithless generation. Deuteronomy 32 uses the same words. Deuteronomy 32, 5 and 20. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Verse 20, they are a perverse generation. Children in whom is no faithfulness. And so we see these parallels. But what does Jesus say at the end of verse 17? Jesus shows patience and mercy and compassion. The end of verse 17. Bring him here to me. How long do I have to put up with y'all? How long do I need to dwell with you? Bring him to me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving you to your own failure. I'm not going to leave you here. Just like I raised you up from the water, Peter, when you had little faith. Just like when y'all were with me in the boat in the storm and we're going to perish. Both times Jesus said they had little faith. He didn't leave him then. He's not going to leave him now. Bring him here to me. I'll show you how it's done. We see the heart of our loving and compassionate and merciful and patient Savior. So point two, Jesus expresses strong disappointment with the disciples' faithlessness. Point number three, Jesus casts the demon out and heals the boy. Jesus heals the incurable. Look at verse 18. And Jesus rebuked him. He rebuked the demon. And the demon came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Jesus shows you how to do it. And he don't waste no time. Instantly. All he does is win. And beloved, notice this. This kind of stuff makes me excited. I love this stuff. Jesus is the God who rebukes demons and heals. Remember I asked that question, who rebuked Satan in the Old Testament? Who rebuked Satan in the Old Testament? Zechariah 3.2 The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. And I said, ah, I wonder if there's a connection. I, I want to see if, if, what the connection is. Is that word rebuke the same word in the Greek Old Testament as it is right here in Matthew? So I go to my little Bible program and I pull up the LXX. That's the Greek version of the Old Testament. That word for rebuke in Zechariah 3.2 is uh, uh, epitimao. 
I know you're not supposed to speak Greek in sermons, but this is just so cool. That's, that's the Greek word. The Lord, God Almighty, rebuke you, Satan. Who rebukes demons in the New Testament? Matthew 17, 18. Jesus rebuked him. Same Greek word. Same Greek word. Epitimao. And the demon came out of him. Beloved, Jesus is God. Jesus is my Lord and my God. And beloved, just notice this. Demons seek to destroy. This should remind us that, that demons are real. I mean, this, 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 this verse should remind us that demons are, are real. Uh, uh, the, these demonic seizures led this boy into fire and water to be destroyed. And, and the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And, and so Satan is alive and well today seeking to devour you mainly by destroying your faith. This focus we have later in the passage about mountain-moving faith, Satan wants to destroy your faith. He wants you to doubt God. He wants you not to believe God's Word. He wants you to not trust God. Did God really say? Did God really say all things will work together for your good? That's how Satan comes. He wants you to doubt the promises of God. He wants you to doubt God. Those of you who don't believe, Satan wants you to keep not believing so you'll die and go to hell because he wants you with him where he'll be suffering under the wrath of God forever. So, so we're in a spirit, we live in a spiritual world. There are demons that afflict people, that try people, that don't want you to delight in God, that don't want you to come to church, that don't want you to bring your children to Jesus, that don't want you to believe the gospel. It's real. That's real. I remember Martin Lloyd-Jones talking about this, this converted witch. She was a witch, and, and, and she would... Would, 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 uh, she started coming to hear Martin Lloyd-Jones pre Jones preach in, in London and she would come to the services and, and she eventually got saved and born again like Brother Steve. And, and, and she joined the church and she came and she told him, when I first started coming, when I was still dabbling in black magic and, and witchery, I, I, I came to your church and I was fascinated because there was a power, a strong power that was there like the power we deal with. But the difference was it's a clean power. Beloved, angels are here. Angels are here right now. Meeting with, with, with the saints of God in the presence of Christ. That's what happens when the saints meet. There's a clean power here. And he's chasing some of you down like the hound of heaven. The devil's real. And our wrestlings are not just against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we see that in our passage today. And, and Satan's this roaring lion, but we know a bigger, better, badder lion. We have a bigger, better, badder lion of the tribe of Judah who makes that lion look like a pussycat. Jesus heals the boy instantly. Instantly. Someone said that 
The devil is God's devil. He's like a dog on a leash. He can't do anything, uh, do anything unless God allows. Jesus heals the boy instantly. Instantly. We know a bigger, badder, better lion. And his name is Jesus. Jesus can cure the incurable. Jesus does the impossible. Jesus is the demon killer. He casts out demons. Beloved, remember, Jesus is able. Jesus is not only able, but He is able to do what we ask. Jesus is not only able to do what we ask, but He's able to do what we ask or think. He's not only able to do what we ask or think, but He's able to do all that we can ask or think. He's not only able to do all that we can ask or think, but He's able to do more than all that we can ask or think. He's not only able to do more than we can ask or think, but Jesus is able to do far more than all that we can ask or think. Jesus is not only able to do far more than we can ask or think, but Jesus is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. Beloved, that's your God. He's your Savior. Jesus casts the demon out and heals the boy. Jesus heals the incurable. Point number four, Jesus addresses the problem of having no faith. Faithlessness. Look at verses 19 through 20. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And He said to them, Because of your little faith. The disciples asked Jesus this question. They want to know why. Apparently they tried. They, they, they tried to do it. If, if you remember way back in chapter 10, they were told that they would be given authority and power to do this. They had practiced this before. They tried to do it this time, but they couldn't. Why? Jesus said, because of your little Faith. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean because they had good, true, solid faith, but they just had a teeny bit, and they need that teeny bit of good, solid, right faith in the right God to grow? Or does it mean they didn't have any faith at all? Ah, this is hard. Did you notice why this might be hard? Look again at verse 20. He said to them, because of your little faith. But then he says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll be able to move mountains. So if you take it as size, it's because of your little faith. Then he says, if you have a little faith, because a mustard seed's small. So, little faith, but if you have little faith, you can move mountains. But I thought you said they had little faith. That was the problem. You see the, you see the dilemma here? Well, this has led many, and I agree with the commentators on this, that, that the little faith here actually means unbelief. It actually means unbelief. N not just that they didn't have enough of the right kind of faith, but the kind of faith they had was messed up. And, and, and they, they were unbelieving. They were unbelieving. Jesus tells them they couldn't cast the demon out because of unbelief. And, and I believe that because, partly because of that analogy that Jesus uses. Because He says the size of the faith is not the issue. The size of the faith is not the issue. If you have a tiny little bit of faith like a mustard seed, then you can move mountains. So it's not the size that is the focus. 
I believe that because of what he says in verse 20. But also, I believe it because of verse 17. And Jesus answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation. He calls them faithless. He says the problem in verse 17 is unbelief. You are a faithless and perverse generation. And I also believe this because of what we read in Mark's gospel of the same account. Because in Mark's gospel, uh, at the end, Jesus says to the disciples, this kind, this kind of demon possession can only be driven out. Uh, uh, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Prayer. In other words, utter dependence on God. Utter dependence on God. You've got to go to God. You've got to have the right kind of faith which puts all its hope in God. The object is the main teaching here. The right object of faith. God must do this. If you have a tiny little bit of faith in the great humongous God of the universe, you can do anything. It's the object of faith that matters, not the size of the faith. And so prayer. They needed to come to the omnipotent, all-powerful, mighty God. And in the book of Mark, do you remember when the Father prays in the book of Mark? Do you remember what He says? Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible for you. And the Father says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So He had a weak kind of faith, a small kind of faith. But He came to Jesus. And so I understand Jesus by saying little faith. You don't have faith. You're faithless. You've, you've started trusting in yourself. You've started trusting in your own track record of doing this in the past. You've started trusting in your own abilities. That This is like some kind of formula now where you just use my name and boom, it'll happen. Instead of being utterly dependent upon God. Right? Pastors can do that. I've been doing this over 11 years now. You just sort of get in the routine and the habit. Better not. Better be desperate on my face for God to come and work during this time or nothing's going to happen because God has to do it. Daniel Doriani comments, the disciples' surprise at their failure to cast out this demon suggests that they assumed they could solve this problem. Why? Because they began to trust in themselves, in their gifts, their skills, rather than trusting in the Lord. They apparently thought they had the gifts, the training, and the experience to make this work. Little faith here means faith in the wrong thing, in the wrong object, which is unbelief in God. The disciples apparently were trusting in themselves, their abilities, their past successes, and not in God. Faith is little because of its object. If you put your faith in yourself, that's little faith. Some, you might hear that. Children that go to public schools, you might hear that. Put your faith in yourself. you got to believe in yourself. That's little faith because you little. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in God, children. God is so big and so great and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Put your faith in God, not yourself. That's little faith because you're little. If you put your faith in the government, that's little faith because the government and all worldly powers are little. Isaiah says they're a drop in a bucket. They're less than nothing, like dust on the scales. That's little faith. They can't save you. If you put your faith in money, 
or a relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, children, any kind of relationship, friend, or a job, or some dream you have to accomplish, or any kind of other great accomplishment. If you put your faith in that, that's little faith because all of those things are little compared to God. They cannot save you. They cannot satisfy you. But God is big. God is great. God can save and satisfy you. God is the only worthy object of your faith. And if you have just a little bit of faith in the one true, great, all-loving, all-merciful, all-satisfying God, then you can accomplish anything that God calls you to do. Anything that God calls you to do. That's what Philippians 4.13 means. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. R.T. France, one commentator, says the Greek word for little faith is a favorite word of Matthew that means unbelief, not inadequate belief. And beloved, we see that in other places where Jesus tells His disciples, you have little faith. Matthew 8, 24-26, remember the great storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but He was asleep, Jesus was asleep, and they went and woke Him saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing! And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why are you afraid? They didn't trust in the Lord. That <laughs> They had unbelief there. Jesus was there in the boat with them and they did not trust him. They had little faith. And you might say they, they had a right to. They were in a storm. They were going to die. They were scared to death. It seems impossible. That's when we truly trust Him. That, that's when we find out who we're trusting. And He was there with them and He helped them. He wasn't here with them. He was up on the mountain when this demon thing happened. He had to come down and do it, show them how it's done. Remember Peter? Peter had the faith enough to get out and walk on the waves, but then he saw the circumstances, he saw the surroundings, he got his eyes off Jesus, and he starts to un uh, be faithless and twisted. And Jesus again says, Why? little faith, little faith Peter. He had unbelief. Because he was doing something that's impossible, walking on water. When you face the impossible... Do you trust Him who does the impossible? I like how John MacArthur put this. L little faith, he basically said, little faith means trusting God when you know how things can be accomplished by you. L little faith means, yeah, I see how that can work out. It, it, how, how much of our faith in God functions on that level? I'm not worried, I'm not anxious because I know how the bills are going to be paid because I got a paycheck and it's this much and my bills are this much, so I know how it's going to work. I trust God. Ah, that's easy to trust God then. That's little faith. It's easy to trust God when we know by sight how things are all going to work out. Sometimes Miss Lena, she'll, she'll tell me how, you know, she'll, she'll see certain kind of suffering in the world and she'll say, Pastor, you just don't know. You don't know what it's like to starve. You don't know what it's like to not know where your next meal's coming from. And to a large degree, she's right. I've never experienced that in my life. But there are people that do. 
There are people that face impossible situations and they trust God. Tom Schreiner. I love Tom Schreiner, by the way. If you ever need a commentary on the Bible, read Tom Schreiner. He's such a blessing to the church. He says on this this verse, Why is it true that mustard seed faith can move mountains? Jesus plainly tells us, It isn't because of the quantity of our faith, but the object of our faith. If our faith is in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then it has the great effect. It has a great effect. Our faith makes a difference not because it is so great, but because God is so great. Because He is the sovereign one who rules over all things. Our faith doesn't thrive when we think about how much faith we have. It springs up when we behold our God. When we see Jesus as the one crucified and risen for us. And we need mustard seed faith to truly, we need mustard seed faith in the truly great God. We need mustard seed faith in the truly great God. The father who came to Jesus to heal his son came to the right person. That's the right faith. He comes to the right object, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this father knew that he himself was helpless. Right? He was helpless. He was helpless. Maybe the disciples, they've been doing this demon casting out for a while, and they've been pretty good at it. And they, yeah, oh yeah, come on. Come on, brother. I'll cast that thing out. I've done this ten times before. Come on. They weren't desperate like this father. Our friend, pray that I wouldn't be that way. That I would be desperate. I would be as desperate. I remember when I first came to this church, I would pace outside and I'd pray through these prayers. I was so nervous to stand before you. And after you do it a while, you, you just get used to it. Pray that I would be as desperate as I was when I first came. For God to come, for God to help, for God to speak, for God to save and change and sanctify. This father came desperate. Desperate for God. Desperate for help. Desperate for mercy. From the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew Jesus was the only one who could help him. And Mark 9.24 says, Immediately the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. That's a great prayer. Again, it highlights the point is not whether you have a faith with no doubt, but that you have a faith in the right God, in the right object, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And Jesus healed him. And that was point number four. Jesus addresses the problem of having no faith, which is faithlessness. And then finally, point number five. Jesus encourages his disciples to have mountain-moving faith. Jesus encourages His disciples to have mountain-moving faith. Look at, look at verse 20 again. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus says, if you have a small amount of faith, 
If you have the, a mustard seed was known at that time proverbially as something very, very tiny. If you wanted to say something's very, very small, proverbially during that time, you would say it's as small as a grain of a mustard seed. So Jesus is saying, if you have a tiny amount of faith, a tiny amount of faith, the right faith, genuine faith in the right object, the Lord God Almighty, then you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. What does this passage not mean? <laughs> this promise isn't about rearranging the Alps. This, this promise isn't about literal mountain moving. I mean, Jesus did not come and shed his blood and die and rise again so that we can rearrange the Alps and Mount Everest and Mount Fuji. That is not the point. Who in the Bible actually literally moved mountains? Is there any example of that in the Bible? Of, 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 of someone moving mountains around? Well, God, when He created the earth, you could say, God, God only. <laughs> well, we have no example of this. This is not the point. And, and so this promise isn't about naming and claiming every carnal worldly desire that every other worldly pagan desires. Right? So some preachers that you're here on TBN, T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn, uh, Kenneth Copeland, uh, uh, Joyce Meyer, preachers like that, they love this passage because nothing is impossible. You can move mountains. You can speak to that wallet money and get that money. Nothing shall be impossible for you. You are the child of the king. You deserve to live like a king. Uh, satanic. All that satanic. Butchering God's Word. Taking it out of context. That's not what this text means. Pray for them that they would repent and believe the true gospel. Herman Ritterboss says on this passage, it is not the task of faith literally to move mountains. That is irrelevant. Jesus was not speaking of the, Jesus was not speaking of the task of faith, but only of its power. This power is unlimited because it is based on God's omnipotence. So what is this promise about? This promise about mountain-moving faith is about trusting God so that nothing that Jesus has called you to do or given you the authority to do will be impossible for you. That's, that's important. This promise about mountain-moving faith is about trusting God so that nothing that Jesus has called you to do or given you the authority to do will be impossible for you. When people talk about interpreting the Bible rightly, they say context, context, context. What is the context of this passage? What came before? What comes after? What is its meaning in Holy Scripture? What is its meaning in light of all the Bible? What is the context of this passage? Is it about naming and claiming stuff so you can be healthy, wealthy, and wise? Is that the context? No, but these preachers love to rip stuff out of context and use it for their own financial gain so that they can take your money and live high on the hog while you're broke. What is the context of this passage? The context of this promise for the disciples of Jesus was that they faced this difficult task of casting out a demon. That's the context. 
And Jesus had already given them authority to cast out demons, and he told them that that was their calling. Look at Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Matthew chapter 10, 7 through 8. Jesus told his disciples, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. That's the context. Jesus had sent his disciples out to spread the everlasting gospel through which people could get saved. And as they go, they were to heal the sick and cast out demons. And they failed. They failed at their mission. They were on God's mission to proclaim the glories of Christ and His coming kingdom. That's the context. That's the context. To be on God's mission to spread the gospel of the kingdom. And that's the context for which this promise is for. And they had failed. And so Jesus reminds them, you need to trust God. You need to quit trusting yourself and you need to trust God so that nothing I've called you to do will be impossible. Beloved, do you see that that's the context? That we're to be on God's mission? And that's the context of these verses. Not, not living high on the hog, but laying our lives down so that people hear the gospel and get saved. Nothing will be impossible with you if you trust God and do what He's called you to do to spread the gospel and save sinners. It's the same for those prayers Jesus talks about in Matthew 16. He'll give you all things. It's in the context of the disciples being called on mission to get the gospel out. To share the gospel. That people might be saved. That's the context of this passage. Now I'm going to make some side applications. That I believe are appropriate to the text. For us today as well. This promise is that Christ by faith. That, that, that this promise is that in Christ by faith. You can overcome any and all difficulties, obstacles, pains, hardships, and sufferings, even those that seem impossible to you, so that you might walk in the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You can overcome anything that God calls you to endure to carry out His will for your life if you trust in God. Trust in the Lord, beloved. He will provide all the help that you need to follow and trust and obey Him. D.A. Carson comments, Removal of mountains was proverbial for overcoming great difficulties. It, it, it's, a, it's a proverb. So, so, so mountain moving is proverbial for accomplishing something difficult that seems impossible. So, so you might hear somebody even today in, in our culture say, you have to move a mountain to get that job you want that job? You're going to have to move a mountain to get that. Or, or you're going to have to move mountains to get into that school. You want to go to Harvard? You want to go to Yale? You're going to have to move mountains to get in there, young man, young woman. Or, you know, some of us are keeping track of the NCAA tournament. For a 16 seed to beat a 1 seed, you're going to have to move mountains to do that. And that little FDU school in New Jersey did it and beat Purdue. They moved a mountain to do that. It's a proverb for, for that which seems impossible. And the Bible uses it this way. 
Psalm 46, 1 through 2. I remember when COVID hit, we would read this at the beginning. We didn't know how bad it was going to be. And everybody was all scared. Well, we went to Psalm 46, 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though, though these amazing, scary, impossible things happen, God is our refuge. Isaiah 54, 10, the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, God says. Impossible things like mountain moving may happen, but God is there. God is with you. God will help you. Paul uses it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, 2. And if I have, a prof- if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Beloved, this this promise is telling us whatever you face as a Christian and you walk with Christ, He's going to cause you to overcome if you trust in Him. If you trust Him. Whatever you face, God is going to cause you to overcome if you trust in Him. Mountain-moving faith empowers you to obey the difficult commands of God. Mountain-moving faith empowers you to obey the difficult commands of God. Uh, There's another way that the Holy Spirit puts this in Luke 17, talking about a mulberry bush being uprooted and thrown into the sea. It's the same kind of idea. Luke 17, 3 through 6. Pay attention to yourselves, Jesus said. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And how does Jesus respond? And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So what's the context there? Having the power to forgive people. Having the power to obey Jesus when He says, love your enemies. And no matter what somebody does to you, seven times they come and repent. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Mountain-moving faith is needed to forgive, to trust God. Tom Schreiner comments on this. He says, the question remains, what is mountain-moving faith? Notice what Jesus says in Luke. Those who have faith like a mustard seed do great things. They have the faith to forgive brothers and sisters who sin against them repeatedly. The illustration Jesus provides then is enormously helpful. We know it's God's will that we forgive those who sin against us, yet when we're faced with actually forgiving them, we often struggle because of the pain is so severe. Mustard seed faith, then, is faith that kills works of the flesh and produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and patience are mountains that can only be climbed by faith. Faith, after all, expresses itself in love. Mustard seed faith believes the gospel will go to the ends of the earth and triumph over the gates of hell. And the clearest evidence of mustard seed faith is whether you love God and your neighbor. Our greatest enemies are not outside of us, but within Our greatest foe is the hate and rebellion that overtakes us. A mustard seed faith, because it is placed in Jesus Christ, gives us the victory over our sin. Yet we are freed from the sin that enslaves when we rely on Christ and not our own strength and works. Mustard seed faith is enormously powerful, not because of our faith, but because it unites us to the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Beloved, mountain-moving faith empowers us to more than conquer great suffering and keep clinging tightly to Jesus. 
By faith in God, we conquer. We more than conquer. When I first wrote this sermon, I said, by, by faith in God, we endure. We endure. I was going to say endure with all these things. No, 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 no. Thinking too small, preacher man. More than conquer. We don't just endure as Christians. We more than conquer. Piper says, what does that mean? Well, it means your enemies become your slaves. And what you thought was your enemy actually serves the purpose of making you more like Jesus and, and increasing your joy in God. That's what it means to more than conquer. You just don't conquer, but your enemies b b begin to serve God's good purposes. So mountain-moving faith empowers us to not just endure, but more than conquer great suffering and keep us clinging tightly to Jesus. And so by faith in God, we more than conquer in hard marriages. By faith in God. Lord, this seems impossible. I can't fathom living one more year like this. Okay? Trust Him. Remember, little faith is when we, oh, we know how this is going to work out. I see it. It's clear. That's by sight, not by faith. Faith is when it's not by sight. You don't see any way this is going to be good. <laughs> but we trust God. We trust God. Because God is sovereign. God is powerful. God is good. We more than conquer by trusting God in hard marriages. By faith in God, we more than conquer the loss of loved ones. The loss of loved ones. Right? We've had many people lose loved ones this past year. We just had another, uh, uh, Sister Alicia, lose her mother. And, and that can be devastating. How can I go on? How can I live life without my mom? Right? Alicia lost her mom. Paul lost his mom. Uh, 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 Andy lost Claire. How, how do I go on without my mom? I, I'm scared of that myself. My mom's getting older. And I don't, I don't want to live in this world without my mom. I want to go first. <laughs> Quite frankly. How, 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 how is it possible? Trust God. God is my refuge. God is my strength. Though mountains be cast into the heart of the sea, God is my refuge. We trust God when we don't see how we can go on. By faith in God, we, we more than conquer loneliness. We conquer loneliness. Single people struggle with this. How, how can I go on alone? Lord, I, I, I can't fathom if five years from now, ten years from now, I'm still alone. It's impossible. I can't live this way. Well, that's, that's the time to exercise real faith. You can't see how you're going to go on. You can't see how you're not going to be lonely. Trust God. Trust God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him. Exercise that mountain-moving faith. By faith in God, we more than conquer terrible past church experiences. Terrible past church experiences. Some people have had terrible experiences in churches that abuse them, whether physical or spiritual, uh, uh, twisting the word of God like these faith healer people. And, and, and they don't trust anybody now. And they won't go to church because they've been so burnt by bad churches who are in it for the money and not in it for the glory of King Jesus and for the good of people's souls. I heard a testimony of that yesterday. But she's here. She's here now. And she's healing. And she's getting over it. And she's trusting God. Because she has faith in God. 
And so by, by faith in God, we more than conquer past bad church experiences. By faith in God, we more than conquer having disabilities or living with children who have sickness and disabilities. That's hard. I, I know it from hearing other people's experiences, how hard it is to deal with their own disabilities or their children's disabilities and hardships to see our children suffer. Even like this man in our passage whose son was suffering so bad and so he brought him to Jesus. It's hard. It seems impossible. It might seem impossible. How can I go on? How can I go on with this family? By faith in God. By trusting the one who is good who is sovereign, who knows the end from the beginning, who is with you, who will never leave you or forsake you, who loves you, who is promising to work everything out for your good by trusting God and His promises. By faith in God, we more than conquer all pain and suffering and hardship and loss. Beloved, we are called to live the Christian life not by sight, not by how we can see how everything's going to work out, but by faith that we can't see. We, we, we can't see. We're to live by faith. One, one pastor gave this summary of, of, of how the Christian is to live by faith. Now, faith moves mountains. Faith accomplishes great things. That's obvious. I think we've heard that many, many times, but I wonder if we really understand what it means. Let me give you just a little background. It was faith in God's power that caused Caleb, the Jewish spy, to look at the land of Canaan with its giants and say this in Numbers 13.30, let us go up at once and possess it, for we will be able to overcome it. That was faith in God's power. It was faith in God's care that enabled Job to say in the midst of personal disaster, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. It was faith in God's protection that enabled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to stand on the edge of the fiery furnace and say, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. And he will, he, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. It was also faith in God's word that enabled Daniel to survive in the lion's den, as it says in the sixth chapter. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. It was faith that saved the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair in tears and wiped them with the hair of her head in Luke 7. And as you look at the 11th chapter of Hebrews, that great chapter of faith, the Bible tells us it was faith that enabled Abel to offer a better sacrifice. It was faith that caused Enoch to be translated to heaven without death. It was faith that allowed Noah to build a great ark and preach righteousness. It was faith that caused Abraham to follow the call of God. It was faith that caused Sarah to have a child. It was faith that caused Isaac to bless his sons and caused Jacob to bless his sons, that caused Joseph to hope in the future. It was faith that called Moses to reject the pleasures of sin for the reproach of Christ. It was faith that caused Rahab to receive the spies. And it was faith that came in the time of crisis to Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets and many, many others. The power of faith. And the writer of Hebrews leads into the great opening of the 12th chapter and says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and to what are they witnessing? To a life of what? Of faith. As we stand surrounded by so many who say that we are to live by faith. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so you have throughout Holy Scripture the testimony to the life of faith, to the power of faith.
And faith is so powerful only because its object is so powerful. The omnipotent, almighty God. And beloved, finally, mountain-moving faith is a true living and active faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to have knowledge. You have to have knowledge about Him. You have to know that He's the God-man, that He died on the cross, that He rose from the dead. You must believe that that's true and you must trust Him with your whole life in time and eternity. Jesus is the God-man healer and the one who destroys the works of the devil. So when life seems impossible, we should trust in Him with a true, active, and living faith because Jesus is our only true, active, and living Savior. Beloved, let's go back to the beginning. Remember this father's son who was being destroyed by a demon? He was torn and cast down. He was thrown into fire and into water to be destroyed. Jesus brings life out of death through His own death. You see, Jesus is the Son who allowed Himself to be totally destroyed by the roaring lion the chief demon, the devil. Jesus, His Father's only Son, was thrown into the fires of God's wrath and judgment. Jesus was cast into the sea of God's fury and curse. Jesus passed through the waters of God's judgment and was drowned in them. He was thrown into the fire of God's wrath so that you who trust Him would never be scorched by the flames of everlasting hellfire. He allowed Himself to be destroyed on that cross. And then He rose up from the grave, triumphant, so that all of you who repent and believe in Him will never be destroyed by the devil or his demons forever. Colossians 2.15 tells us, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And because of that, beloved, Isaiah 43, 1-3 is true of us. But now the Lord, but now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Jesus is the God who can heal uncontrollable sinful man and forever crush and ban the devil's wicked godless plan. The entire crowd was totally amazed when on the God-man their eyes gazed, where all He went, He stirred them crazed and spoke to some, so some of them were dazed. For He said He'd soon be raised, then live to forevermore be praised, so stand in awe and be amazed. A father distressed cries for his son who's been possessed since life's begun. The devil's made his life undone. To save his life, they have found none. But now they've come to God the Son whose face had shined just like the sun. This Christ can save the worst undone. Devils He came to crush and stun. He died and rose. His work is done. So to this Christ, by faith, let's run. 
Help my unbelief was his humble cry. Though he believed, doubts cloud the eye. He shows us how to pray thereby and all our doubts and fears defy. Cast down our self-sufficient try. To Christ in weakness we must fly. He'll be our all in all supply. In him your joys shall be so high. By faith the only limit sky. The devil aims your hopes to kill. Destroy you, your life he'd steal. With fire and water t'was his will to crush this sun with voices shrill and crash his bones into a hill. But there's a God who's full of zeal, who has a plan he will fulfill. And he won't rest and he won't rest at all until this devil mad his son would kill. On Calvary's hill his blood he'd spill. There forsaken, his voice was shrill. God crushed his son. This was his will. But he's alive. Oh, what a thrill. So come to him. Your life he'll heal. And in your heart with joy fill. The greatest of victories only happened through prayer. In this, the disciples surely did err. For prayer is faith's highway to take you where the power of God is always there. For on our God, we cast every care. Since he's the one who counts all our hair, in Jesus' name we end our prayer. For with him no one can compare. His glory and beauty we must declare. Jesus Christ is the one who can. Jesus Christ is the God who can. The only Savior of every man. He alone does the impossible plan. So be a follower, not a fan. He's the greatest before time began. Christ Jesus casts the demon out and heals the sick. He's God devout. So often we are weak through doubt, faithless, twisted, cry and pout. But Christ is strong, a rock who's stout. He died, the sun went full blackout, and all God's wrath he did burn out. Then rose alive, death's dead, we shout. Through faith, like mustard seeds, they sprout. Impossible deeds we bring about, according to his will, all out. Christ ends our pain and joy drought. With him no pleasures go without. For all our enemies, He will rout. Christ is our joy, our all straight out. Father, we pray that You would help us behold our God. Help us behold our Savior in all His beauty and all His power and all His glory. Father, we praise You that Jesus is the God-man healer and the demon killer who came to destroy the works of the devil. And Father, we pray that as we behold Him, we would be moved to have mountain-moving faith, Lord, to accomplish all that You've called us to do in our lives on mission with You, to carry out the Great Commission, to see people saved, to see all Your elect saved, to see people discipled, to, to, to be trained to obey all that Jesus has commanded, and so that we might more than conquer any hardship, any obstacle, any suffering, any loss, any pain by trusting in our God. Oh, Father, increase our faith. Make our faith true and genuine. On You, our God, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.